Life is complicated. If you think back on your life, you know that it's true. Think of when you were a baby, for example. Now, you may not remember it, but you've seen pictures. What's the one thing that babies are always doing? Well, there's a few things they're always doing. They're always crying, always bumping into things, always smiling, and they are always pooping themselves. You ever see them? They walk around looking all pleased, and you're like, yep, they did it. Life is complicated. They poop themselves and can't do anything about it. The complications start as soon as life begins. It doesn't get much better as you age. Toddlers, for example, life is clearly complicated for toddlers. They look drunk all the time. You see a toddler wandering around like Frankenstein. Uh, ever seen that? They're like crazy. They run in. Apparently our nursery is just turning into mass mayhem and planet-wide panic as the toddlers are crashing into each other and stumbling over the babies. You can watch for a second nursery in the coming weeks. We're expanding downstairs because we need to separate the insane toddlers from the babies who are busy pooping themselves. Life is complicated. Then you get to school age and it gets worse. You're thinking about which girls like you and which girls don't. You're thinking about which guys want to fight you and which guys you already fought and won. Especially you're thinking about when the next time is that you're going to get candy. It's a lot to manage. If you haven't heard Seinfeld's bit on school-age kids getting candy, I highly recommend it. School age is complicated. High school, of course, gets worse. Sometime in high school, I mean, unless you were ahead of the curve, it's first date time. If you remember your first date, that's a very terrifying situation. First kiss, God help us. That's just awful. You've been looking forward to it your whole life, and it's just basically pure terror. you got to learn to shave, and that sucks. I practiced with a butter knife for weeks. My dad helped me, but eventually he just leaves you to your own devices. You start nicking yourself and bleeding. It's terrible. you got to keep doing it, shaving. It just, it's complicated. Plus, in high school, fractions. Post-secondary gets worse. Am I going to keep studying or am I going to go to work? Maybe I'd like to travel a little bit. I'm going to move out sometime after high school. Of course, that's changed a little bit since I was high school aged. But still, eventually, they're going to move out. And somebody said amen. (laughs) Then they move out, and one of the first things that hits you is, what do you mean I have to pay this wireless bill? I'm the first generation to have cell phones as like a normal thing. I'll never forget walking through Air Mills Town Center in Mississauga as a teenager with a cell phone, and I felt like a high roller. Little did I know that Rogers Wireless was setting me up for a life of servitude. The Matrix is real. After post-secondary, it's career time. What's one of the first things that hits you when you enter into career mode? Why does everybody hate me? And why is everything so difficult all the time? Anybody relate? My son's been watching The Office, and so I have to watch a little bit of it. And you're like, that is a picture of life as we all know it. Why does everybody hate everybody? And why is everything so hard? some point during your career years, you're going to get married. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. I mean, it's a wonderful thing, but it is complicated. I've been married 21 years, and I still find myself trying to figure out what she wants. I'm trying to like read the tea leaves. I know we don't do that as Christians, but you know what I'm saying. It's a turn of speech. You're like, I don't understand this woman at all. She is complicated. And we haven't even started talking about her perspective of me. 
And then, God help you, you end up with a baby who's always pooping itself. And you have to clean it up while protecting it from its toddler sibling who's trying to pick it up and put it in the blender. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Life is complicated. But it doesn't have to be. Get a load of Psalm 18. Now, this is a long one. I hope you're comfy. This is 50 verses. I love you, O Lord, my strength. It could be a one-verse psalm. Maybe next time I'll just preach that one verse. Just breathe that in and let it sink into your hearts. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Hallelujah. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Ooh. Ooh, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. Any Pentecostals in the room? I will call upon the Lord. I think the Baptist sang it too. Who is worthy to be praised? We sang it with the teenage girls. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And you did a round. I will call upon the Lord. This, this is where it comes from. All right, sail down. I got a church of charismatics. So help me, Jesus. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. Ooh, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. Feel it from his temple. Ooh, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Then God opens up a canna, you know what. <clears throat> then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled. And they quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water, out of the brightness before him. Hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Speaking here in prophecy of the Messiah, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and I have not wickedly departed from my God for all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Quid pro quo. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. And with the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people. <laughs> a humble 
people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness, for by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him, for who is God but the Lord? Who And who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless? He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me. My feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet for you. Equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of nations. People whom I have not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from mine enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence for this. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and to his offspring forever. Somebody shout. I could preach this psalm. All right, we're going to take this massive three-page, 50-verse monstrosity, and we're going to make it simple. I stared at this passage longer than I've stared at any passage since I preached in this church. I stared at it until it showed its simplicity to me. Because God knows you can't preach 50 verses in 25 minutes. What's beautiful, though, is at the heart of this psalm, there is a symmetry that is simple. In fact, it's so simple, it's going to be useful even to someone simple like me today. Oh, Lord, my strength, I love you. You want a simple life? Learn to love God. I'll say something bold here, perhaps a little provocative. I don't mean to offend you, but there's a chance that you don't yet love God like David did. I know it's true for me. David, for all his faults and foibles, loved God with a consuming, a towering passion. I was thinking as we worshipped how weird it is that we worship. How weird it would seem to somebody from the real world if they gathered into a church service and just watched I've been listening to the radio a little bit and listening to popular music a little bit because my kids are teenagers now, so I end up listening to the music they, they listen to. And what's interesting is that the music they listen to hasn't changed since I was their age. Everything is self-centered. Everything is self-focused. Everything is about how I've been hard done by. Everything is about what I want. Everything's about me, 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 me. Every Drake song is annoying. <laughs> so annoying. 
So it's like, no, Dad, the album's really cool. I'm like, no, man, let's stick with Tribe Called Quest. Well, even Tribe Called Quest, I'm on a world tour with my mic in my hand. It's about him. But then we come into worship and we're singing about the God of the universe. We're singing about the divine other. We're lifting our eyes off ourselves. We're worshiping God because he's good. Do you love the Lord? You want a simple life, learn to love God. Why does David love God? Here's the chiasm at the heart of this psalm. He was in trouble. God saved him. Now he's happy. Psalm 18. What's beautiful about this is you can apply it to you. I'll tell you how we know for sure in just a minute. Because who cares if David was in trouble and God saved him and David ended up happy? What about me? I was in trouble. You saved me. Now I'm happy. Why do we know today that we can apply Psalm 18 to our lives? Because Psalm 18 is an echo of 2 Samuel 22. In 2 Samuel 22, we have the original recording of this song that bursts from David on the day that God sets him free from all his enemies. On the day that David sets into the promise that Samuel poured upon him with that horn of oil. On the day that David is once and for all king of all Israel. He can't help himself, but he bursts forth with this song. It's recorded in 2 Samuel 22. Years later... God's people felt that this song was so true, so powerful, so honest, so helpful that they turned it into a choral hymn recorded in Psalm 18. David's personal moment becomes a moment of corporate worship. It becomes something not just for him, but friend, it becomes something for you. Because last I checked, you are part of the congregation of spiritual Israel. And if it's for me, then I can look at it and I can find the promise of that simplicity and apply it to my life. I was in trouble. God saved me. Now I'm happy. Some keys to the simple life. Verses 1 to 3, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Okay, we already said first key to the simple life is to learn to love God. Then you need to remember who he is. Who is God? He's your rock. These are all strong words. He's your fortress. Another strong word. He's your deliverer. Another strong word. He's your shield. Another strong word, he's the horn of your salvation. Anytime a Jew writes horn of anything, it means the best, strongest, most awesome there is. It's not just common salvation. It's the horn of your salvation, my stronghold. In the Hebrew, stronghold, get this, is impregnable fortress. You want a simple life? Remember, God is your impregnable fortress. Go to him for safety. That'll preach good, right? You need to apply that to your life this week. If God is my fortress, I'll go to him for safety. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Simple. Yes, I understand that we are not 
archetypal warrior kings, but we still have enemies. And our greatest enemy is death. So David's talking about in verses 4 through 6, all the ways in which death is catching him up. He's encompassed by it. They're like torrents. They assail him. They're like cords that have entangled him. They're snares that confront him. I was swimming at Tobermory yesterday. I saw Dunk's Bay. So now it's like a year of living in Guelph. Now I feel like I understand you people a little bit. Dunk's Bay is this wonderful little cove just south of the tip of Tobermory where half this church goes for summer vacation. Maybe not quite half anymore. I always talk about how beautiful it is. And we went the other day, and it's just, wow. Will Gamble, who's our red-headed drummer, you see him there sometimes, sweating, worshiping Jesus, took us out in a boat. We ended up under some cliffs. I said, stop the boat! Stop the boat. I jumped off the boat into the water. <laughs> hit the water. <laughs> My son hit the water behind me. We started swimming. 20 feet, crystal clear, epic. I said, throw me a rope. I'm going to tie us off. We need to swim. Swam the rope down. I was looking for a big rock to tie it around. I lifted a rock, and it fell on my hand. And I was like, today is not a good day to die. (laughs) And I lifted the rock off, swam back to the surface. The cords of death entangled me. Like a rock on your wrist, you can't get away. Death is our common enemy. Everything comes down to the fear of death. Everything, everything you do. Dissect it, right? Think about it. We have a full fridge because we're afraid of dying. Because empty fridge means hunger. And hunger, unabated, leads to death. Our problem is the same as David's problem. Death is all around us. It's ensnared us. It assails us at every turn. What David needed is what we needed. We needed God to step in. Hear me, church, we needed God to step in. Verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Don't forget, as you seek to live a simple life, that God hears you. Look what happens when God listens. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but in verses 7 through 15, we see what happens when God steps in. This big, scary God opening a can of Balaam's, you know what, on the world. Big, scary God. You want a simple life, don't try to save yourself. Wait for God to step in. Because when he does, it's going to be good. Look at verses 16 through 19. After the God of the storm shows up, look what happens. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. Verse 18 now. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. Hear this, because he delighted in me. I don't want you to miss the top of that section. He sent from on high. And the word became flesh And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, the eternal Word of God, became flesh 
in the person of Jesus Christ and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. For God so loved the world that He sent, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whomsoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Of course, those two sequences from John 1 and 14 and John 3 and 16, God stepped in. You want a simple life? Get straight with Jesus. Get straight and stay straight with Jesus. Remembering that Jesus stepped into space-time history for your sake. That Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life, fully fulfilling the will of God His Father. For your sake, He went to the cross to suffer and die in your place for your sins. That the penalty for your sin and mine might be upon Him. That the Father in His holiness might reject the Son so that you would not have to be rejected. And that Jesus Christ gave up His life and He literally died so that you might live. But of course you may know the story. The third day He didn't stay dead. He rose again from death, defeating its power bodily. Visited with his friends, ascended right in front of their eyes to the Father's right hand. Sat down in victory where he's interceding for you, praying for you, cheering for you, your dearest friend, your only hope. The place from whence he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom. A kingdom which will have no end and a kingdom in which you have a place. He did it for you. It's personal. Change two words and you see what I'm saying. Verse 19. He rescued you because He delights in you. That'll make your day right there. All right? Somebody say something. Will that make your day? He rescued you not out of a sense of obligation or legalism. He rescued you because it puts Him in a good mood. <laughs> that changed your whole life. He rescued you because he delights in you. How did he do so? He rescued you by applying Jesus' perfect record as the only begotten Son to your less than stellar one. C.S. Lewis refers to it as the great exchange. Jesus gets your badness, you get his goodness. Good deal. It's the best day of your life. That's how he rescued you. I think what David was ultimately doing, even if he didn't know it, because the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Scripture, I think what David's ultimately doing in verses 20 through 27 was prophesying about Jesus, the son of David. Why? Well, because we all know that King David was anything but perfect. He's just ascending the throne when he sings this song. Bathsheba's still coming. Bathsheba's a woman he saw bathing on the roof of one of the houses in Jerusalem. I've been to the place where most scholars think the castle of King David stood. And even today, on the highest part of the ruin of the remains of that building, all of Jerusalem from his day stretches out beneath you. The first person I thought of when I stood there for the first time was Bathsheba, because I realized that he could not have helped but see her bathing on the roof in the heat of the day. He begins to desire her so much that he uses his kingly power to send her husband to die. 
forces his generals to put him at the front of the battle. He dies, and David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. Disgusting abuse of power. Absalom's rebellion is still to come. Absalom is David's son, supposed heir to the throne. Stages a coup. Leaves David fleeing across the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives, looking back at Jerusalem. I didn't even go through all the people David killed, all the people he consigned to slavery. But if we substitute son of David, the Christ, for David, it all begins to make some sense. Let's do that and read verses 20 through 27 again. The Lord dealt with me according to Christ's righteousness. According to the cleanness of Jesus' hands, he rewarded me. For Jesus kept the ways of the Lord. and He did not wickedly depart from his God. For all his rules were constantly before him. And his statutes he did not put away from himself. He was blameless before the Father. He kept himself from his guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to Christ's righteousness. According to the cleanness of Christ's hands in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you show yourself pure. With the crooked, though, you show yourself torturous. For you save a humble people. But the haughty eyes you bring down. I've told you what humble means a few times, right? It means knowing your place, knowing who you really are. I'm talking biblical humility here. You want a simple life? Remember you're not Jesus. You read these verses as David first sung them, you're like, that's an impossible standard that I'll never measure up to, and I know, David, that you didn't measure up to it either. So without Jesus, those verses are not helpful, but once Jesus is brought into the picture, the whole thing becomes glorious. Because now your faith doesn't rest on your faithfulness, but on His. Now your salvation doesn't rest on your performance, but on His. All of a sudden, things are looking up for you. You want a simple life? Remember, you're not Jesus. For you save a humble people. Humility is knowing who you are. I'm not Jesus. Here's the teachable point. If you're not Jesus, stop trying to act like Jesus all the time. Trying to save yourself, trying to save your kids, trying to save your family, trying to save your community, trying to save your country. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So annoying. All these pretend saviors trying to... You know, Jesus, maybe I could take your job for a minute. Maybe you want to consider coming down off the throne and let me ascend to your place of power and rule and reign and let me get things organized for a second. It's ridiculous, right? So stop living ridiculously. You're not Jesus, neither am I. Let's let God be the God of the impossible. So what's happening in verses 28 through 36, I'll just skim it briefly for the sake of time. Look what happens here. God lights his lamp. He makes the dark places light. He gives them the ability to run against a troop. He can all of a sudden leap over walls. God starts doing impossible things. 
fact, he starts turning you into a superhero like a diaper-changing machine. He gives you strength and holiness. I love this part. He turns you into the ultimate warrior so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. But gentleness is his calling card. And your gentleness made me great. Only the Bible has a picture of a warrior bending a bow of bronze in one scene and in the very next, reminding us that it's God's gentleness, this big, scary storm God. It's his gentleness that makes his friends great. What else does he do, this impossible God? He makes your paths straight, and we all know that life is anything but a direct path from A to B. And so by faith you say, you're making my path straight. I can't see it, but I believe you're doing it, because you're God and I'm not. You're Jesus and I'm just me. So I'm going to act, live, believe like you're making my path straight. So I'm going to keep moving forward. What else does he do? He keeps your feet from slipping. We all know that we all slip constantly. So by faith, you can keep going. Because you like, it's a straight path. So you can keep my feet from slipping, even when I slip. Something miraculous happening here. Something transcendent happening here. You want a simple life. Let the God of the impossible go to work in it. Application. And worship team, I'm almost done. You can join me. The application of letting the God of the impossible go to work in your life is this. Ask him when you don't know. Okay, you find yourself in a situation where you're struggling. Something bad is happening. You're under pressure. You're under stress. You don't know what to do. Ask him. Someone testify, you ever done this? Not of me if you've ever done this. And God spoke to you, right? God spoke to you. Sometimes it's holy silence. It's usually for a greater reason that you'll discover later. But most of the time, when I ask God a question, he answers me almost immediately. You want a simple life, let the God of the impossible go to work. How do I let him go to work? You just ask him, moment by moment. Let him Be the one to secure total victory in your life. That's what David's talking about in verses 37 through 45. And he's speaking about it in the language of a warrior king. So for him, the things that he's speaking about, running people through with swords, trampling his enemies into dust, he's speaking from his life experience here. So unless you find yourself king of Judah, okay, having conquered the city of Jebus, tasked with subduing an entire region, you know, don't feel bad if his experience isn't exactly yours. Okay, the particulars of his experience are not normative. This is the archetypal king of the Old Testament's experience here. So how does this translate to our life? The total victory that God gave to David is the total victory that God has assured you in Christ. We see in all the apocalyptic pictures of the New Testament that Jesus ends up with all things under his feet. And we know from the New Testament that you are in Christ. So his victory is your victory. 
You want a simple life, let him secure total victory for you and then be happy about it. With this I close. Look at verses 46 through 50. The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me. Who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. And sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David, and to his offspring forever. You want a simple life? Get happy. Why am I happy? Because God is alive. That's what David's singing about. God is your savior. That's why David is singing. Your God will right all wrongs and deliver you from your great enemy. He will ultimately exalt you as co-heir with Christ. That's why you should get happy and you should stay happy because God showed never-ending love to his servant David. And 14 generations later showed that same love and kept that same faith with Jesus Christ, the son of David. And because you belong to Jesus, he'll be faithful to you. Simple.